And just what is this peaceful plan? In one move, and non-violently, we accomplish everything both of us has ever wanted for Bajor. How? I know the game too, Kira. You know I cannot risk telling you that. How do you know I won't just go straight to Cisco? Well, if you do, then we'll both know where your loyalties are, won't we? Well, hello and welcome to Tarak Noir. My name is Joe and I'm here with my brother Matthew and together we are recapping each episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine from Emissary to What You Leave Behind. Today we are talking about season one, episode two, past prologue. The story was written by Catherine Powers and was directed by Winrick Colby. So Matthew, what was your favorite part about being a terrorist when you were a part of the Kuhn Ma? You know, um, honestly, it was the mixers. A lot of social gatherings. There the were so many. So, listen, after a long day of bombing the enemy and potentially your own people, whoever gets in there gets in there. You come back, someone's making a little moonshine, little uh, Bajoran moonshine, you know what I'm saying? You get off that sauce and it's a good time. Well, uh, I'm I'm glad to hear that when you were hanging out with Tana Los, uh, just blowing everybody to bits that you still made time for connections and uh in networking and that's really the most important part of uh being a part of a uh of a terrorist organization is the networking it's the it's the community it's the friends we met along the way (laughs) yeah and the friends that we blew up along the way (laughs) all right um so let me get into the episode summary uh, courtesy of trekcore.com, Tano Los is beamed aboard and is discovered to be a member of a group of extremists who are still attacking Cardassians. When he requests asylum, Cisco is put in a tenuous situation when the Cardassians demand Tana be turned over to them for his crimes. Uh, what is a crime is that that s- summary doesn't talk about Garrick at all, who makes his debut in this episode. So, Let's start talking about uh, this episode with Garrick and uh, his relationship to Bashir. So uh, the episode starts off with our very, uh, very interesting introduction to Garrick. Um, He is, it's, I don't know. I love Garrick. I think it's fascinating that immediately from the first episode, he's just Garrick. And like, that's who he is through the entire series is what he is in this episode. And one of the reasons that I love DS9 so much is that the first season, I think better than most other Star Trek series do does such a good job of establishing characters as we, you know, know and love them throughout the entire series. And Garrick is no exception. Um, in uh, an interview that he uh, that Andrew Robinson, the actor that plays uh, Garrick, did is he was emphasizing that Garrick is all subtext um, and every single line of dialogue that we get from Garrick uh, in the first op- opening scene with Bashir is it's all subtext and his uh, famous infamous uh, phrase, just plain, simple Garrick. 
um, is like very on the nose subtexty. So what, uh, what do you think about our introduction to Garrick? It was great. Garrick sashayed right into our lives from the very beginning and, you know, comes in, immediately establishes the fact that he knows what's going on in a, in a way that nobody else does. Like he's, he's ahead of everybody. He's, he only speaks what he wants to say. Like he's always manipulating mm-hmm. the situation. Um, he looked around for a mark and <laughs> Julian Bashir was sitting right there. He's like, yo, this is my guy right here. Yeah. Um, I mean, it doesn't really, I don't think that Garrick had to look very far. Uh, you know, he just looked around the promenade and immediately found Bashir. And it's like, yep, that's the one. <laughs> that's my guy. And so begins, uh, you know, one of the best relationships on the show. Yeah. And uh, it's a, a ship, uh, not to uh, show my age, but I believe that's what what the kids refer to as, as a ship, shipping Bashir and, and Garrick. You, sh- you ship them. You it's ship a, them. A, like a verb. We ship them. Yeah. We're shipping. Okay. As a uh, I got called a mom several times by a group of Gen Zers on Sunday. So I'm still reeling from that. Um, but it's, <laughs> I mean, it's no wonder why, uh, you know, it's, it's a very popular Star Trek ship. I mean, you know, Andrew Robinson has said that immediately he was like, oh yeah, this guy is, you know, is gay. And I'm kind of portraying him as gay and portraying his initial uh, motivation to reach out to Bashir as like a underlying sexual tension. And, you know, one could even argue that whether uh, Alexander Siddig was playing it this way, but like Bashir's fascination and interest in Garrick throughout the entire episode is definitely not um, uh, pushing back on Garrick's advances. You know, like Bashir is like very much like, I don't know what's going on here, but I'm going to, I want to find out and I'm okay with whatever Garrick is doing. I just want to know what Garrick's deal is. Um, See, see, here's the thing. Bashir is into it because Bashir and Garrick share an interest, which is Bashir. Because (laughs) Bashir's like, Bashir's like, I like this guy. He's really interested in me. Yeah. Which is, which is what I am. And this is this is great. We can we can get more into me together. Nobody loves Bashir like Bashir loves Bashir. <laughs> yeah, you know he's just out here, just you know trying to find glory in the in the frontier. Yeah, you know even in this episode, he's just just nobody's ever been more green. Than, no, than Bashir. Yeah, in the way that you know uh, Bashir is like. Uh, storms into ops is like an excited like oh my god i found a puppy down by the well can we keep him can we keep him? you guys you guys you guys you guys you guys <laughs> it's like oh my god calm down and like none of them are really like they're kind of humoring him a little bit but not actually like buddy buddy they're doing that except for except for dax who didn't have to do her boy like that because everybody's like, oh, really? Interested. And she's like, you know, Bashir's like, he's, he's interested in me. And Dax is like, why would he be interested in you? And I'm like, damn, girl. <laughs> yeah, just like 
uh-huh. it wasn't even like usually like Dax loves to tease Bashir like right she loves Bashir's advances she thinks it's funny but this wasn't teasing this was just like really you why, why yeah. is it your whack ass <laughs> yeah it's uh it, it definitely like that moment was definitely not the usual uh teasing that Dax does of Bashir but yeah that was just a great moment altogether just like you know it's he's very much and I say this as a little sibling but he's very much just like the annoying little sibling of the group and everyone's just kind of like okay okay buddy um (laughs) and uh yeah absolutely great but um so Bashir it's an interesting thing especially when we think about a future episode um our man Bashir where Bashir has a whole holodeck program um dedicated to like a James Bondian style of adventure um and one has to wonder one can like you know uh assume that narratively in in the universe that Bashir kind of looks back on events like this and it's like you know what I actually want to do this but for realsies like I want to do like real spycraft in a holodeck of course um and it also allows you know in our man Bashir we'll talk about you know who knows when um but it allows him to have a little bit more control of the situation and to be much more suave and you know much more aware of what's going on but instead in this situation he is just completely unaware like uh garrick is like hey i want you to come at this specific time to come get a suit and he's like well why the fuck would i need a suit what's that for and then he goes to cisco he's like why do you think he wants me to get a suit like well what the hell do you think buddy like what are you doing here Bashir is one of the most naive characters we've ever seen the the best just a complete like wait wait, what like just not picking up anything Garrick's Garrick's gotta show him all the game yeah seriously and it's like Garrick is like, listen, I know that I picked Bashir for a reason because he's an easy mark, but like, God, I like, I don't know, like he must have had like a moment of regret off, off, off camera of like, was this really a good idea? Was this the best I could do? Is this the best <laughs> that I could find on this station? <laughs> he, uh, he knew that he was an easy mark and he was easy for him to look at while he was doing this. Well, work. that's true um i mean realistically i mean not to get too blue but uh not a lot of options on that not to get too uh, blue space station Uh, i mean you know that being said unless you want to look at different species and whatnot which is a good thing we should always uh be open-minded of course um anyways um it's gonna exit out of that situation What, what are you like uh again you are you are uh like 76 year old white man right now what are you talking about as i said i was called a mom several times more than once when i was on I'm, the beach on, on I'm on the side of the kids right now that's that's totally fine it didn't help that i was wearing a caftan which i was like oh this is really cute but it also just makes me look like oh so you're just a middle-aged uh older person that's great and it's like that's fine i i liked the caftan it, it looks cute um anyways um okay so back to Bashir. um we'll talk about um 
uh, Vitor and Larissa in a second. But, uh, you know, this whole this whole scheme is organized so that uh, Garrick can get a witness to what Bator and Lursa are wanting to do. Um, and that Bator and Lursa are a part of the whole plot uh, with Tonalos, which we'll get into uh, the Tonalos aspect, excuse me, a little bit later. But I love that when Garrick is like, just get in the freaking dressing room, you idiot, and hands him a suit. And then Bashir has like a minute where he's like, well, I guess I'll look at the suit and maybe I'll try it on. And like not at all understanding that the suit was not the point whatsoever. But he's like, I guess while I'm here and there's a mirror here, then I guess I'm going to utilize the fact that there is a mirror here. And I'm just going to enjoy myself for a few seconds. Again, what does Bashir love the most? Just He loves himself some more. He loves himself. He wants to see. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Um, Okay, so let's talk about um the Bator and Lursa aspects uh they are just like camp classic villains um they're always campy they're always over the top they're always ridiculous and silly and I kind of love it so when we see them on the next generation you know they have episodes where they're organizing or at least participating in a takeover of the Klingon high command um uh with (laughs) Tasha Yar's daughter. Um, and, and so we definitely see them being um, evil, devious. conniving, devious, <laughs> and all that good stuff. Um, but sometimes they aren't always the best at their job, I, I guess, you know? Um, and uh, I don't think this is one of their shining moments. Um, I don't think that they're the best uh, tribute to their race, uh, to their people. Um, in this moment or in hey, any we other don't, moment. We don't do that here. <laughs> <laughs> we're, not, we're not Klingon essentialists here? Yeah, we're not going to say that the two Klingons we see are like somehow representative of all Klingons. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> um, uh, but anyway, so they have a whole thing. Uh, Garrick is involved in um, uh, helping in a weird way, um, you know, his own way, kind of helping with uh, taking them out because uh, I guess it would be bad for his business or whatever. Um, uh, but yeah, so we get to we get introduced to Garrick and we get introduced to Garrick's um, um, holding his cards close to his chest, you know, all subtexty and uh, getting what he wants out of uh, any given situation. Um, I will say uh, two things about Garrick um if not just two things but um one is when Bator threatens him in his uh in his tailor shop um he like recoiled and freaked out and it was like yeah this guy is a spy not a soldier like very much a spy not really into the whole physical uh threat kind of thing um, put a gun in his hand and he'll be fine but like that kind of physicality which i can relate to um he's not a fan <laughs> listen um i love garrick we all love garrick it's understood garrick 100 came from like private school private school private school ivy like into spy job you know like it's we know what path he's he's been on yeah 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 exactly. there was there there was a year where he was on the row team like this is garrick 
Uh, speaking of what else Garrick is, uh, he's a big fan of jazz hands. Um, <laughs> when he says, let us haggle and puts up jazz hands, uh, iconic behavior, big fan, <laughs> love him. Uh, love him to death. Uh, let's talk about Kira and her new job. Uh, so this episode is heavily uh, focused on um, on Kira kind of adjusting to what her role is um, on the on DS nine within uh, within Bajor within the structure of uh, the new provisional government, etc. You know, we know from this uh, the series premiere that she's not really a big fan of the Federation's presence on on DS9 and kind of sees it as trading out one occupying force with another. And so she has a natural um, tension uh, with Cisco, uh, as she describes, like oil and water. Um, and that really... Uh, is manifested in her immediately going over his head uh, when she feels like she that he's not doing what she wants him to do. Um, and immediately uh, calling up Admiral Rollman. Uh, and, uh, and Cisco didn't like that. Uh, how do you feel about how she handled things with Cisco? You know, if she was really about it, about it, and she handled it with Cisco like that, then you know, you got to you, you're doing what you got to do, but she's not really about it, about it anymore. And she, she has to discover that about herself is that she used to be about it. And now she's a politician and a bureaucrat. Like that's what she is now. And that was pointed out to her forcefully and maybe a bit ungraciously by her, her fellow former terrorist you know yeah she, she used to be a terrorist and now she's a politician now she's manipulating the situation with cisco and with the provisional government and all this stuff so you know she's going over cisco's head because she still thinks that she's about it but she's going over his head she's forcing his hand in a way that's more on the manipulative you know like office worker side <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah like she's she cc'd his boss yeah <clears throat> so and that's, even, that's fucked up if i'm cisco, if, if i'm is. cisco i'm like yo you got to come to talk to me why are you cc'ing my manager right now the amount of times that i get annoyed at work when someone cc's like a thousand different managers and it's like what was the reason um but one of my favorite things to do, and it's one of the things that Cisco did, is if someone tries to um, to go over my head, I make sure I have receipts. And when Ben was walking uh, with Kira to the infirmary, and he's asking about uh, Tana Los, and and Kira's like, "Oh yeah, he's fine, harmless, wouldn't hurt a fly, totally cool." And Cisco's just like, "What about this? What about this? What about this? What about this?" He really attached attached a bunch of old evil. See previous email regarding blah blah blah. Like, please advise. <laughs> please advise. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Cisco was on on top behavior in this episode. Um, you had his uh, his pulling out the receipts um, <clears throat> on 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 Tonalos and the Konma. You had uh, you know Kira going over. Uh, his head and he's like 
let me play it cool, you know? Uh, and then I'm going to bring it back later in the episode and say that it's going to be head on, your head on a platter. Um, when he's dealing with the Cardassians, um, he immediately is like, uh, let's stall them and like, you know, uh, clog them up in bureaucracy and all that. And immediately it's like, okay, let's do this. Um, he, uh, when he's actually finally talking to the Cardassians, uh, he does a little bit of passive aggressive banter with the Cardassians. Um, one of my favorite things that Avery Brooks as an actor does, um, will like hold on to a, a word or a sound longer than you'd expect. Um, and like, there's a line where it's like, that's your business. <laughs> and like, it's not like a C kind of, but it's just business. And just the way he holds it on a little bit longer than needs to. And it's the absolute best. Um, his handling of Odo. Uh, they haven't broken any laws here. You can't just throw them in jail and Odo being like, watch me. Um, but just all the way through, he's there's, doing a great job. Listen, there's one thing. If you know one thing about Cisco, he's going to handle his shit. He is going to handle his shit. Um, <laughs> if you know he, anything about Cisco, you know, he's going to do that. Yeah. He's, he's leading the law and order DS nine investigation the entire way through. Um, he is putting a little trap together in the runabout. Um, and, and my favorite variation of the runabout that has a little dangly thing on the top um, of the runabout. And uh, <laughs> when the, in the, at the end of the episode, when they, uh, uh, when they get through the wormhole, he like pulls or has, uh, I guess, O'Brien pull in front of <laughs> Kira's runabout as if he's like in a cop car. And just like blocking his path because apparently runabouts can't go up or down. <laughs> they only can go <laughs> forward. <laughs> Aha, got you now. Gotcha. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's just the best. Absolutely the best all throughout the season or all throughout the episode. Uh, no notes. Listen, Star Trek Captain King right there. Like he, he knows exactly what he's doing. And he totally did, like, in the Law & Order DS9, like, he played the DA. It's like, yo, Stabler, like, we got to get some actual evidence here. You can't just bust this dude up right now. This ain't going to stand up in court. Judge is going to throw <laughs> dismiss this case. Yeah. We got we got to get him holding the product. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, so, okay. So, speaking of, let's uh, let's bring Odo into the mix. And uh, that motherfucker. That motherfucker. Uh, part of Kira's new job is her dynamic with Odo, um, which really gets established in this episode. Um, as she goes to him, uh, kind of as like, you know, as acting as a confidant, like, hey, you know, what do you know about me? And Odo's like, probably more than you realize. <laughs> I do surveillance. Um, <laughs> like, I got your whole search history here. What do you, what do you want me to say? <laughs> do I know something about you? Yeah, I was in your room last night and you didn't even know because I was a fucking rat, literally. <laughs> um and uh and yeah so part of her uh part of that aspect of the new job is is the dynamic with odo there is like can we set the fascism aside for a second yeah no problem just to, okay we'll set that little thing aside just a minor just, character just a, little, just a little minor thing it's fine it's just it's just a little thing you sometimes just gotta put it in a tiny little piece, pocket and you put know what it I mean? just He's aside fascist, whatever it's fine it's fine just a little just a little light fascism um, but, uh, you know, her having a character on the station that she feels like she can trust, 
um even though odo constantly betrays her trust throughout the entire series in more and more creative ways um but like her feeling like she has that is nice um as a character aspect it's nice for her to have that um so that she can have a uh, a balance and a counteracting agent in uh when it comes to her own uh thoughts and feelings and decision making process and um you know kind of acting uh odo acting as her um uh jiminy cricket i guess in a way a little fascist jiminy cricket <laughs> well what do you think you should do she's like oh shit i don't know the one, you got person, me there. The one person you can't betray is yourself yeah. oh my god ah, damn it ah, damn you odo she, she was really like that set her back like the gift of that kid uh with the wind blowing in his face it's like, oh, <laughs> wow, yeah um uh yeah so she is just ah um oh well um but uh yeah so it's you know it's nice um again so bringing back the fascism into their conversation um tough look for odo uh his line cardassian rule may have been oppressive but at least it was simple that is this, that puts you on that puts you on a permanent villain list like that's that's some ducat shit like that is it's it's not a good look the re on the rewatch of ds9 i realized like even as a kid i was like Odo's cool because he can shapeshift, but after the yeah. shapeshifting, there's nothing in Odo that that you can really like hang on to. It's 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 rough. Um, it it is it is really rough. This man will betray um, everybody because he doesn't know who he is. Like he's the character who doesn't like the identity problems. Yeah. Like I don't know who I am. Am I like this? Am I like that? He makes the wrong choice every time. You know he he comes around humanoids and it's like you know what i want to do i want to be a cop like <laughs> what yeah, like of all the things he's like yeah i'm going to work for the cardassians as they torture rape and murder this entire race he's like he yeah, let's do it yeah he he could have seen uh quark and been like i want to become a bartender that sounds great i can twirl a whole bunch of bottles in my arms because i can make a whole bunch of arms come out of my body but no, he Instead, didn't want to do that. He's, he's just on the ultimate hater tip. Incredible, incredible stuff. Um, so uh, so he interacts with uh, Beitor and Lursa a little bit just by doing some incredible surveillance stuff. And what I mean incredible is incredible and not in a good way. Um, good for Star Trek that they were working their CGI budget in this episode, having uh odo turned from a rat into back into himself um but like the fact that shit still happens on ds9 the fact that you know laws are broken or whatever on ds9 odo ain't doing his job he can literally be anywhere he wants at any given second of the day and he's Still, stuff is still happening underneath his Odo, Odo's a perfect uh, allegory for the police in real life. That's true. Like, they don't <laughs> they don't clear shit. They're all over the place, you know, busting up people's rights and uh, and not actually keep, keeping anybody safe. More, yeah, 
<clears throat> more uh, uh, more more funding, more equipment, more uh, capacity than is necessary, and still not doing the job. Just working for capital interests, you know. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's 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 for the best that he's not always uh, perfect uh, when it comes to his job. I'm going to so, say one more thing about Odo. Go ahead. Which is they haven't figured out his face yet, and it's a real bummer for me to watch him on, on screen. Yeah, so it, it it did improve from the first episode. It did improve, um, and it's actually interesting. So, uh, you know, a quick aside... Um, I went through a whole thing of like, do we do a man alone or a past prologue? Because a man alone was filmed uh, before past prologue was filmed, but past prologue came out first. And so that's why we're going with um, uh, past prologue as episode two. Um, But, you know, um, part of the uh, (laughs) since past prologue is the third episode filmed, um, they actually have improved his face, but they still have more work to go. We got to hang you up by your, by your briefs after that nerding out. All right. What? Which part? The part about the, uh, the release schedule? Yes. Okay. From 1995, 1993. Three. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, jokes on you, I'm not wearing briefs. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about Kira's old allegiances. It's um, <laughs> um, a good thing this uh, this podcast is not filmed. Uh, but uh, so let's talk about Kira's old allegiances. So uh, Tanalos uh, shows up uh, in the first, uh, in the teaser section of the episode. And all of a sudden, uh, Kira is visibly confronted with her past you know like she spends that first little bit um kind of enjoying the banter that uh the rest of the crew and ops uh the you know the teasing that the rest of the crew and ox is an uh, ops is doing to Bashir um and I'm sure that she has a moment where it's like am do I like these people you know <laughs> um and it's like that is a conflict for her um that she is supposed to you know supposed to hate them they're the occupying force um that took over from the last occupying force but they're kind of likable in some way they're insidious uh that's a line for later um and so when she sees tana los uh she is immediately reminded of who she is or who she was um and what her past looked like and immediately is like, oh, oh no, I don't, I don't know if I like this right now. You know, that's kind of the immediate uh, thing that we get when we get introduced to Tana Lowe. So what do you think about uh, the beginning of her journey of trying to figure out where her allegiances lie? This is, as I said before, the episode where Kira starts to discover and she doesn't really make she's she doesn't understand the path of enlightenment that she's on right now because she still thinks she's about it and she's confronted with someone who's doing a lot you know this guy's not part of a normal resistance cell like she was in this dude's mm. like out here blowing up the too 
but she still feels like like this is the side that I'm on. I need to still be like connected to the side. Even if she's kind of, even if it's not really a one-to-one fit. Yeah. Yeah. And she has, um, you know, from the beginning, a little bit of uh, <clears throat> kind of like having to prove herself, you know, that she is still with it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that she's still about it. And, you know, every single time that Tonalos kind of digs at her, like, oh, you're such a good politician now or whatever, um, it is, it stings. Uh, it stings for her. Um, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, she's got the comment or he has the comment um, when they're going back and forth about what his quote unquote evil plan is um and she's like what makes you think i won't go to cisco and just tell him everything and the fact that she would even ask that question like the fact that she would even suggest that shows how far uh she has come from when she was part of the Bajoran underground you know like that kind of a question she wouldn't even ask uh put out there into the universe even you know i think even the Kira that we see in the in the first episode, you know, uh, she would never go to Cisco for anything, right? And here she is suggesting, what if I did? Um, and that's definitely kind of, you know, giving away how she feels about things. You know, she kind of got a little bit comfortable with the Federation. Yeah, no, it's it's where she's actually at. You know, when when Tana Loesch is going after her, she doesn't have any rejoinders that ring true you know like she can't really say no that's not true i'm not a politician now i'm not uh you know a bureaucrat now like she is those things and she has to find a way to make peace with that and maybe she should and maybe she shouldn't make peace with it you know frankly. yeah and that's yeah. something that we that we get into here is Listen, <laughs> like that Tana Loesch and his incendiary buddies are accelerationists who are mm. going too far, right? Like, because they're deciding through whatever like anchors of narcissism are like holding them in the place that they're at, they're deciding what the best thing is for an entire planet of people and how they're going to get there and they're deciding with they're, they're deciding how they're going to justify the, the ends and the means you know like they're they're making this decision they're putting themselves in the place of god where they're like yeah we killed a bunch of our own people we killed one of our you know ministers we assassinated this dude but like you know it is what it is it's for the great for the greater good that we've determined and you know they're they're at this place where they're they're doing this. So like they're they're out of pocket for sure. They're out of pocket, right? But they're not wrong in saying that Kira isn't down anymore, mm. and she's gotten comfortable. You know, as much mm. as she wants to complain about the Federation or say that she's not really like for it, or she wants you know uh, Bejor to like use the Federation right now, but then wean themselves off of them when they get strong enough. 
that's that's not true like she was trying to convince herself of that you know she she is in a position right now and i don't know if it's time yet to name names you know we're only two episodes into this thing but she is the civil rights leader who ends up being a politician and serving in congress for 30 years and like just going for whatever it is that uh that their party wants and leaving behind like you know the interests of their people they're like oh well you know this is better than the other guys like what if i wasn't here what would they do meanwhile you know the the actual reality of the situation is what it is we're not actually changing you know like you you gave us these civil rights or whatever but we're still under the thumb of someone else you know the federation's the one running the space station if it were that the federation was really there on behalf of just assisting Bajor, then this then the space station would have a Bajoran commander and a Federation first officer. But it's flipped. And that's because the Federation is trying to get Bajor to join up with them and become a part of their thing. There's not, there's not even a thought that the Federation would subordinate itself to you know, the interests of these people. They're not mm-hmm. able to have self-determination. They're, they're, they're signed up on the program and Kira could be against it. She could write as many tweets and blog posts as she wants. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, is she's showing up wearing the uniform, carrying out the orders of the Federation. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, your point about Tonalos is like, it's like, you're not wrong you're just an asshole (laughs) you know um like i have in my notes that like under tana los just oh men are the worst um tana tana's the worst men are the worst um you know he is just very very patronizing very condescending very uh i just I hate him. Um, not a not a fan. Not a fan. Um, but also at the same time, you know, he's not entirely wrong about um, uh, about Kira. And it's interesting because she gets to a point where, when she's talking with Odo, she kind of accepts it. You know, um, there is tension there for her um, throughout most of the rest of the series in terms of her identity um and her allegiances but you know she she kind of accepts it um that this is who she is and um it is always it it can be a challenge for people to um think that they're still one thing and then have to accept that they're something else and uh yeah but one hope that 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 accepting of that you're something else is a good thing. Um, she, she discovered that she was turning into a little bit of a keyboard warrior. Mm. And, you know, that's not the only place that she, like, she doesn't stay there all the yeah. time. Like, she does do some things, you know, moving forward where, like, it's clear that this matters to her. And it's clear mm-hmm. that the current status bothers her. You know, but she doesn't know 
how to get around that. And yeah. Yeah. yeah and, she's, and frankly, to be fair to her, like it's very difficult to know how we get around that. You know what I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's it's one thing to believe a certain set of in a certain set of values. And it's another thing to try to live that out when there isn't an obvious like lane for it. Yeah. And she's stuck up there with, you know, now the people who are in charge of the planet that she was trying to liberate are the politicians and the and the and the priests. You know, like you're back to the same people, the same type of power structures that always exist. And it's these elevated, like few set of few people who get to make these decisions for everybody. And that's why she's sympathetic to this group of people who are about it yeah yeah exactly um you know when we're uh when we're on the runabout on her runabout um at the end where tana kind of you know i guess gives up sees that the you know see that he's backed into a corner um uh tana calls her a traitor uh you know, Kara says the old ways don't work anymore. Everything is different now. I had to do this for Bajor. I hope you'll understand someday. And Tana's response is calling him a traitor, calling her a traitor. Um, and I think it's very interesting the moment uh, between her and Cisco at the end. Um, the script has that scene a little bit differently um, where uh cisco tries to talk to kira uh when when they're in the airlock um and she just walks away without acknowledging that he's trying to talk to her um and o'brien is there and cisco and o'brien exchange a look but they changed it up in the episode where it's like cisco looks at kira and is like "Mm," like wanting to say something but then he holds back and the two of them walk off together and there is definitely a the symbolism of those two walking off together it's very much like we're on the same team you know we're like on the same plane walking together towards the future of beige or towards the future of relationships with the federation towards the future yeah yeah and it it also i think that was another good look for cisco where he knows that there's nothing that he's going to say it's going to make her feel better. Like any words at that point in that moment are trite because he knows that she came to the only decision that she could make. And he knows that it hurts and he knows what the ramifications of that are for someone who's a proud individual, who's, uh, who's done all these things and who has to now settle into a different phase of life where, you know, She's in, she's in that different spot and he just looks over at her, recognizes that this is something that she's got to deal with, but walks together with her. Like, I'm here yeah. for you. Yeah. And, and I'm not going to make this moment about me trying to mm-hmm. make you feel better. Like, I'm going to let you do, have your thing. If you need to say something, you can say something. But yeah. it, was a, it was just a good moment of him recognizing how he needs to like deal with each individual, uh, you know, member of his staff yeah yeah absolutely um i i think it is like in terms of the scope of all the different star trek shows it is interesting that you know after tng where 
pretty much, you know, Picard and Riker have like a very easygoing captain and first officer relationship, right? Um, then you move to Cisco and Kira, which has a natural, <clears throat> excuse me, built in um, tension between the two characters, between Federation and Major. Mm-hmm. And then they get right to Voyager, where you've got Federation and the Maquis. And they've got that built-in tension as well. So it's interesting where you have Star Trek for two back-to-back shows leading into that um, uh, this era of tension between the commanding officer and the first officer. Um, just interesting. But it, I like it. It works really well. Um, yeah, th- I think that Cisco as well is the most empathetic captain. Um, you know, Picard has this easygoing relationship with Riker and the robot <laughs> but outside, <laughs> outside of that like he's very intentionally doesn't do poker night you know like yeah. it made it to where like you know the last the last scene or two or whatever of that show was like wow he's like gonna come in and like be there when we're playing cards mm-hmm. like that's like a huge deal because he just really doesn't fuck with people like that like he's got his thing with beverly which is complicated um, but outside of that, you know, like he's just he's just drinking tea and reading books, you know, and fantasizing about digging <laughs> artifacts or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And you've got Janeway who, you know, like she's she's about to be in space for 80 years. So it's either you like maintain discipline or you just let it all go. There's no middle ground. And she decided I'm maintaining discipline. And so it, it made, it forced her to be like a pretty like hard captain yeah. and, you know, constantly like I'm here to establish my authority and make sure everyone knows who's in charge. Cisco has all of that, but like he just, he adapts so well to the environment that he's in. Where like he's in this place and like clearly Cisco has it in him to fo- to know and follow all the Starfleet regulations. But he recognizes where he's at and he's like, yeah, you know, we got to do what we got to do here Yeah, to make, to make things work. Yeah. A quick aside, it is interesting that uh, Burnham and Discovery um, is also more empathetic than the average Trek captain. Um, so interesting that the two empathetic captains are the black captains uh, and also the shows that get the most hate in the Star Trek universe anyway. So let's talk about some other stuff. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to get out of that real quick. Um, uh, so we're wrapping up Akira a bit, but just a couple of sides. Um, uh, one, Kira has a terrible poker face. Uh, there was like this scene where she leaves ops on the turbo lift and like looks back at Cisco like, oh, don't look at me. I'm not doing anything wrong. I swear. Don't look at me. Um, Terrible poker face. Um, but uh, she does do a lot of work with head and hair movements. Uh, and her uh, in this in the conversation with Cisco right outside the infirmary, like it's a lot of like just moving around and like shaking the hair and like just being like, I am very passionate about what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> and I enjoyed it. It was fun. It's um, a very 90s um, actress thing, by the way. Like mm. there's a, there, and also some of it's the haircuts, you know, like, there's just a lot of shaky, you know, a lot of yeah, a lot of hair movement. Well, it feels very nineties. Yeah, we'll 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 talk about the hair uh, part in the uh, in the trivia for today. So, 
let's get away from the episode itself explicitly and let's kind of uh, get into an overarching theme um, of the episode and something that is uh, applicable in not just this episode, but also in the series and then outside of that, which is occupation under a different flag. Um, it's something that is said essentially as an establishing characteristic um for kira in uh in the first episode emissary where she's like listen one day is the cardassians the next day it's the federation what's the difference it's just the same occupation under a different flag um and in this episode we have kira um having someone like kira kind of warming up to the new flag and then having someone else from her past someone from you know someone from Bajor resistance um pushing back on it it's like are you really cozying up to the new occupying force um and it's an interesting it's an interesting topic to consider um it is that you know what <clears throat> what's the difference between swapping out flags if you're still uh, still being occupied? Yeah, Tata Loach really tried to make it seem like Kira was Sam Jackson from Django. Like, and and that wasn't fair. And there, this is where, you know, some of this comes into play. Like, there, there absolutely is a difference between a Cardassian occupation and a Federation occupation. You know, like, I, I know that, like, it's a, I, I made an argument 20 minutes ago saying that, you know, like, we're bringing in new, new captors, new oppressors, yada, yada. But yeah. they're not out here torturing these people. You know, like, the fe- Deep Space Nine was an ore mining plant. Where <laughs> they were, like, where they were literally torturing and murdering Bajorans who had to live in squalor there. And it's that's not what it is right now you know like there is a difference materially between the two that doesn't mean that just because one oppresses people through you know like whatever the the different forms of empire are or colonizing are means it doesn't mean that it's that's okay or good but there is for sure a difference so let's uh speak on how uh how the federation is uh has their version their brand of occupation it's not obviously it's not the same it's not cardassians but uh you mentioned that they have like their own version of it it's the way that um the united states says that uh we don't have colonies yeah yeah but but we have territories you know like like oh no it's a completely different thing these are territories mm-hmm. and um you know i saw just recently uh supreme court you know said that people in puerto rico yeah. aren't eligible for you know the same types of social protections that citizens of the united states are they don't have representation you know in congress they don't have there's all these ways in which these people who are ostensibly free or not colonized or something, um, they're people who have to pay taxes but don't get any benefit. You know, around, around tax, the or rep, tax or representation taxation without, without representation. representation. Or the way that, you know, like we the multinational corporations are the new like occupiers where mm. we don't have 
you know, it's not the same as, you know, the way that like the British did it or whatever, except, I mean, the United States has got army bases in 200 countries, right? Mm-hmm. And the Federation is out here with outposts all over the place. And mm-hmm. I know that they say that they're not for, they're just for protection or not for mm-hmm. whatever, but they got, they got these ships with photon torpedoes and quantum torpedoes and shields and phaser rifles and all this all around in all these different places and in all these different planets that have significantly um, less abil- technological ability and ability to defend themselves. Like it's the implicates. <laughs> you ever watch uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? No, sorry. All right. Well, it's, it's pretty good. <laughs> there's, there's a character named Dennis who's like they make him they make him creepier and creepier as time as like the season goes the series goes on to where like he's kind of like potentially a murderer slash rapist like they make him they make him the evil so they're on a cruise ship and he's explaining how he's gonna like get these girls to like go out with him and he's like you're on a ship there's the implication like that you could be thrown overboard that blah 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 and he's like you don't you don't say anything you don't do anything it's the implication and that implication is the way that that united states or you know nato powers or the federation walks around hey we're not we're just we're here for us Mm -hmm. we're trying to make i'm trying to make this good for you but you kind of have to do it because of the implication that we could literally blow up your planet with one ship Jeez. yeah yeah i mean there's i'm trying to remember the full plot but there was an episode of tng where Riker uh accidentally gets discovered by uh pre-warp civilization and uh picard is having to like okay so here we are we weren't trying to expose ourselves but this is who we are and then you have like the governor of the planet being like I don't know, buddy. You show me your ship. You show me all that you're capable of. And you're going to tell me that if I don't go along with you, you're just going to leave me alone. Like, how am I supposed to believe that? You could kill me. You could wipe us out. And it's like, fair. You know, fair. Yeah. Picard, Picard, the uh, like the Boy Scout for the Prime Directive is like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. All right. We're backing yeah. up. We're backing yeah. off. We'll, yeah. we'll step away. But yeah. I mean, that's what's there. And, you know, it's a little different in like a post money type of situation mm-hmm. like Star Trek is in, but it's the same type of we're taking resources without um, comp- like real compensation and without necessarily like you wanting to give up all these resources. We just, we came upon your place and you've got something that we want, and we're going to find a way to get that thing from you. And we might give yeah. you a little bit of something in exchange. Like, the, I'm sure that, you know, by this time they figure out some sort of like, we're going to give you a replicator, you're going to give us this or whatever. Like, they're going about it in a different way than the Cardassians are. But the Cardassians are looking, going to these planets looking for resources, and the Federation is going to these planets looking for resources. The Cardassians come with like torture devices and the Federation comes saying, we just want an exchange of ideas and culture. Yeah. Yeah. The Federation. 
they think that they're the good guys. Some <laughs> of them, some of them think that they're the good guys. There are there are times that they're that uh, clip from that show. Are we the baddies? <laughs> are we? <laughs> are we the baddies? Uh, all right. Well, um, I'm sure we'll have other uh, plenty more opportunities to talk about occupation under a different flag. Um, but let us get into the rapid fire and close out this episode. So under miscellaneous episode trivia, um, uh, Kira's hairstyle uh, change was at not a visitor's uh, request. Uh, she looked at uh, the hair uh, and was like, you know what? I just don't feel like Major Kira would style her hair every day. She wouldn't care. And so she wanted a hairstyle that looks like she just woke up in the morning looking like that. Sure. So, um, it was definitely an improvement on the first, first set of hair that we get. Um, Susan Bay, um, who played Admiral Rollman, uh, is uh, or was married uh, to Leonard Nimoy up until his death. Um, so that's lovely to see her in Star Trek. Um, Odo and Kira's series long friendship is established. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure. She was, uh, she was like, I would be excited to be interrupted in a staff meeting, you know. Listen, again, we're going to bring up the staff meeting in just one second. I'm just saying, you know, I, I didn't know she's literally the boy's wife. I don't really care. I don't know these but, Okay. You know, it's lovely for you. I'm glad. For me, I don't care. Okay, thanks. Um, this is an interesting, uh, weird kind of trivia, and I don't know if it's entirely true, but I'm going to go off of what Ooh. IMDb says. This is the first episode of Star Trek in which no ship named Enterprise appears. Interesting. I don't know if that's entirely true. Um, in the documentary, uh, I referenced this earlier. In the documentary, What We Left Behind, great documentary, Andrew Robinson said he always felt that Garrick was gay and his initial interest in Bashir was motivated by sexual attraction. In the same documentary, Iris Stephen Bear expressed regret for not making Garrick's sexuality explicit and uh, fully addressing it in the show. So I don't know if I believe him. Yeah, I I watched that part of the documentary and I was like, eh, that, like it's eh, like right eh. now in 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 you know I don't that documentary didn't come out too long ago, like oh in this climate, yeah I'm sure you would love to have a gay character, but uh, in 1992 when you were coming up with this I don't know if I don't know if that's really what you had in mind like oh I need to make sure to get it you know what I mean so yeah no yeah. Oh well, I, be- um, I believe uh, Robinson. Oh, for sure. I that mean, we, that seems we very can, clear. We can see that what he says is true. <laughs> uh, yeah. Again, and we'll, we'll get to that more in a second. Um, triple quibbles. Uh, you had one that you wanted to bring up. Yeah. Um, so Odo, as he's uh, spying on these people without a warrant, um, is doing so in the shape of a rat. Which, first off. If you could become like anything, I never understood why he's not turning himself into like a flea or a gnat or some type of tiny bug, like yeah. a dust mite. Like you don't have to be something that's visible. You know, he loves to be uh, like a hawk or a mouse or something. I don't know, whatever. That's just on him. There's got to be but, some cloaked animal, right? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't. It like, doesn't make I, for good TV. But there's got to be a cloaked like, Yeah, there like is. if we're if we're doing this covert thing, let's be covert. But here, here's the thing. If he's 
to be a North American rat, which is what he, which is mm. what he was. That means that a North American rat is just easily like identifiable <laughs> on the station, and people mm. are like, oh yeah, it's another rat. You yeah. know, like no one's gonna be like, oh shit, let's get this out of here. Let's call like animal control. They're just like, eh, it's a rat. What are you gonna do? And uh, we see moving forward, and this isn't the time to like get fully into it. Into it. But DS9's got a rodent problem, and I don't know why on a space station with, uh, like, internal sensors, you've got this rodent problem. And I feel like uh, maybe there's some people who aren't doing their jobs right. Well, um, I mean, there's got to be, excuse me, maybe... The sensors can't detect something that uh, small. No, no, no. no. <laughs> that's, not, that's not it. Uh, that's not it. O'Brien doesn't know how to do his job. Oh, went, oh, we're went not. From, <clears throat> he went from being a transporter chief uh, to <clears throat> being um, a soldier and brilliant engineer who can't figure out how to get rid of these rats. Folks, uh, we're recording this before our first episode drops. Um, so, you know, this is our second and last episode. Uh, it's been fun. Um, the internet's going to eat Matthew alive uh, for his take on O'Brien. So, you know, this is it. This is our last episode. Uh, congrats to us. The uh, two episodes and two, <laughs> and two of these takes on O'Brien. I, 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 like, o, I like O'Brien, <laughs> but I'm, I'm not going to let his ass off the hook. Like, it doesn't make any sense for him to have been some dude who presses like enter or like the space bar on a. He got creative with some transporter okay, shit. Yeah. Okay. Great. That's that's great and now all of a sudden he's like you know jordy okay. level genius so you're telling me that you've never met someone who's working a shit job but has like several degrees in advanced chemistry or whatever shit but it's just working a shitty job because they have to provide for their family i know someone with a science phd who's who's working at la usd right now so <laughs> there you go um <laughs> so um anyways uh so Bashir I had a, a, a triple quote with Bashir um as soon as Tanalos beams over he says medical assistance to ops but he was right fucking there he's the chief medical officer bro the you're the medical assistance at ops he is the medical assistance he doesn't have to call anybody he's just calling himself you you gotta carry a fucking first aid kit everywhere you go especially ops of all the places just to have a couple spare first aid kits around the room it's definitely ops this fool's always interloping up there just like incredible hey, hey guys what's going on i want to be around where everybody is I'm so lonely on the <laughs> like, i'm just doing my thing he's he's always up there and now the one time like we actually need your dumb ass yeah you're calling for help uh, and the dude, was, the dude was just tired basically yeah incredible work incredible work for uh for that guy um i had a couple stray thoughts um i've actually already referenced them the only one uh that i haven't referenced is that uh and this is very me being nerdy um but the uh the view screen is high up in ops and so the eye level um is them looking up versus uh directly at eye level where the view screen usually is on starships and so it is an interesting kind of thing where you're playing with uh, power dynamics of who's looking up, who's looking down, and, and that sort of thing. Um, so it's just kind of interesting uh, that that is a style of um, 
of the construction of ops. Anyways, um, listen, I said it was going to be nerdy. That's probably relevant to just me, and I'm okay with that. Um, (laughs) That's fine. Well, okay. Um, uh, I had a memorable line. My favorite line of the episode was uh, Cisco's response to Kira. Um, when he says, be sure to mention it the next time you chat with Admiral Rollman, uh, and then lets a beat go by, go over my head again, and I'll have yours on a platter. Listen, the best, the best. Cisco, Cisco had a bit of a like smile creeping in as he said it because he knew he was dropping a bar. He knew he was dropping a bar, and he does that sometimes because he's always out here, like really giving it to him. Avery Brooks is always acting in DS9. As if he's in, like, a civil rights movie. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I just imagined that it's Thurgood Art Marshall, like, acting, <laughs> acting as Cisco. Uh, yeah. He's, he's giving us what we want, and I love him for it. Like, that, Every that, that dude is it. really like out here listening to jazz mm. wearing a fedora like when he's not on on camera oh yeah <laughs> like that fedora comes off in between takes <clears throat> my or comes on in between takes anyways um <clears throat> excuse me um for oof the night 90- you okay you good you're, you're okay yeah i just you know need some water you're good yeah, I just need some water. That's oh, okay. that, that'll be fine. All right. Um, oof, the '90s. I had uh, creepy gay villains. I love Garrick, but it's very much an old school trope uh, to have creepy gay villains. Uh, I'm reminded of we talked about Bond. We've mentioned Bond a couple times. There was that uh, one Bond movie where he had a couple of creepy villains. One Bond movie. There was probably several, um, but it was like the couple, the gay couple that were like creepy villains um it's it's not a good look i'm glad that that's not a thing anymore i'm glad that uh discovery is like everyone's gay lower decks is like yeah we got a whole shit ton of gay people here um picard is giving us gay moments (laughs) even if like we only have rafi and seven but everyone else is being gay like it's it's great i'm glad that star trek overcompensated for itself and it was like Listen, we understand that we didn't have any gay representation through five fucking shows. So here's all the gays. I love it. Do you know absolutely the, love it. The, cre- the gay villain that Garrick reminds me of the most mm. is Jafar. Yeah, he's got a lot like of he's Jafar. got he's got yeah. a lot of Jafar energy. Like yeah. like Jafar was on the um like when they have those charts like chaotic evil. <laughs> he like uh-huh. like Jafar yeah. is more chaotic evil. Yeah, um, you know, uh, Garrick knows what he's up to. Like he's, yeah. he's got it. Like he's holding the tight a little bit more. Yeah. But um, here's the thing: did did everybody? Did we all know that he was gay at the time? I don't think that we all knew that he was gay at the time because, like, obviously, you watch this thing back in 2022 and you're like, oh, like Garrick's gay. But at that time, I don't think that you assumed. That anybody was gay like Nancy i'll Reagan just say down, but... i'll just say growing up watching this show i always love garrick and bax and they're the two gay ones on the show yeah but you didn't okay i don't i did i know why i liked those two that i was drawn to those two no but that's a whole other conversation that we can talk about about the repressing of sexualities in the christian <laughs> church that's a whole other podcast all i know is that i was drawn to them for various reasons 
<laughs> all right i'm just i don't know like i don't think that ira bear knew at the time is what i'm is all i'm saying i think that he eventually figured it out maybe not right away but i think he eventually figured it out garrick's garrick's great what a fantastic character yeah love it love him <laughs> okay uh good luck bad luck uh we talked about odo rough luck um admiral rollman i want to talk about her getting upset for getting out of a staff meeting honestly i'm always happy when i get out of meetings like if i get called out of a meeting i am going to stretch that for longer than i need to it's like oh my god i have such an important phone call i gotta go and then like the phone calls 30 seconds i'm out of that meeting for a good 10 minutes yeah, yo, get get a refill on your coffee. Like, yeah, go to the bathroom, check, check your a phone, couple, go to the bathroom, yeah. stop by a couple desks. There's no reason for you to like walk back <clears throat> into that meeting. No, and I could tell. I could tell you for a fact, there wasn't. They ain't no shit happening in that meeting that couldn't have been an email. Like, there's one hundred percent like sure. Like, get get that little communique on those proto iPads. Yep, there's get a pad. There's no need. Everyone's just in there like. Hey, so uh, this department, you good? Yep, we're good. What yep. about this department? You good? Yep. No, we're yep. good. What about yep. this problem? This department? Well, we got this little project we're working on, but it's good. All right, great. Like this is this is what you're getting yeah. upset for. Yeah, it wild, absolutely wild. Like I could see if if the admiral's like, "Yo, you got to control over your staff or what?" Because they're all coming. To, they're coming to me, and now I got to be involved in like your little mess. I understand being upset at that. That's sure. not what she said. No. What she said was, you pulled me out of a staff meeting. And what I would have said was, you're welcome. Exactly. Wild. Um, all right. So the working class moment of the episode, uh, I'll just say plain, simple Garrick. He's just a tailor. What's more working class than that? He's just a plain, simple tailor. Mine is... You got to stop a terrorist attack that might blow up six colonies and you could send two dudes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, Cisco, he takes care of his shit. He's just a Cisco, working man that takes care of his shit. They're coming out here like they got a warship. Cisco's going in his Honda Accord like, yo, let me go figure this thing out. Yeah. And did he handle it? He handled it. He handled it. I'm just saying that's the, that's the working class moment. He didn't, he didn't call on the troops. He was just like, there's some shit. All right. I got let me, this. Let me put my work boots on. Let me put roll up my sleeves and let's go handle some shit. Definitely excited to talk about next episode. But for now, it's time to release Docking Clamps and pilot our tough little ship away from Tarak Noir. If you want to reach out to us with comments or questions uh, or your thoughts and feelings about O'Brien and his uh, just what a tremendous asset he is to Deep Space Nine. Uh, wouldn't be able to function without him and uh, uh, no negative remarks can be said about his uh, about his sterling career um, hit us up on Twitter our profile is at Tarek Moore or send us an email at TarekMoorePod at gmail.com feel free to rate and review our podcast on iTunes or where you get your podcasts thank you all for listening we hope you join us for our next episode and until then walk with the prophets child <laughs> <laughs>